But my name is Sam, like he said. I work with our CTF ministry, which is our youth ministry. I've been a part of this church for about four to five years. I really don't remember uh, the actual number of years, but I think it's four to five. And um, yeah, I love the Lord and I love you guys. And I just really hope that this scripture is as encouraging to you as it has been to me. So I really am. I'm going to go through the Good Samaritan, which is just something a lot of us know about. But CTF has been going through the parables, and this one has just really stuck with me because it's reminded me of my dad (laughs) in a weird way, and it's also reminded me of who I want to be um, and who God wants me to be. Um, So I'm just going to go through that real quick, and I'll read that. Okay. So essentially this guy comes and he's like, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And in in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by him on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is just that cash, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So I want to first by just start by saying out, like, start out by saying <laughs> that I really think this is touching because I think too often I can be like the priest or the Levite. They're people who were surely coming from the temple, from doing a good work for God's people. A Levite is somebody who's essentially a worship leader back in that time. And so there are people who are very renowned in the church. Um, But when it came time to actually help someone who they didn't know, they literally chose the different side of the road to walk by them. And I think when I think about this story, I think about how I'm so prone to just wanting to be by myself, to take some time by myself, to dismiss a phone call because I'm too busy or I'm really too tired that day. Um, And then I think about my dad and who my dad is. So my dad isn't a Christian. Um, He has a very funky theology. He believes in aliens way more than I think he believes in God, which is, you know, that's cool. Um, But he's a really good man. Um, And what I think here is that Jesus is saying like, yeah, this guy didn't have the theology or the title or anything to really boost him up. He was just kind. He just thought about somebody else. And my dad, he used to work at an automobile shop like about, I don't know, like 10 minutes away down Levon. And um, in front of his shop, there was a really brutal crash. Like the car was on fire. And my dad saw it and the police weren't there. And instead of calling and hiding, he ran out and he helped take people out of their car. He helped rescue a baby out of a burning car and um, help that family and try to help them survive. And my dad, when I think about that, it's like, he, yeah, he wasn't like, Jesus wants me to do this. <laughs> he saw somebody in desperate need, knowing he could be very well burned and injured and hurt. Um, And he gave his resources and time to helping this family and essentially saved them. Like he saved a couple of them. Um, Yeah, and I just think about that's the man who Jesus loves, (laughs) that Jesus commends. It's not that Jesus, not that my dad was perfect, but he just cared. 
And so when I read the scripture, it really sticks with me because it makes me want to be that person who, regardless of the situation, regardless of the day I had, regardless of the cough I might have, um, am I willing to go and be with somebody? Am I willing to go and hang out with a teen who will literally have nothing to offer me, but I get to offer them like a different vision of health and spirituality and maybe even a marriage, you know? And so I think I've just been inspired by the scripture and it's changed my way of how I want to be in my life going from here. Do I want to be somebody who passes by someone and chooses the other side because I'm uncomfortable or because I'm tired? Or do I want to walk closely and help that person, give them my money, give them the things that I pack to travel with? I won't have oil and wine. I'm not like, I don't do that. I don't carry that. But I do have money and I might have lotion and I might have food to give this person. Um, And God has given us and he's given me and he's given this church an abundance of resources to hand out to people. And I'm not just talking money. I'm talking like your home. You know, you have a home to give people. You have a vision of family and marriage that people have not seen that is good and healthy. And so we have so much to give. So if you see somebody in need, one, just know you're not alone. You have people to ask to help you out. So that's my scripture. That's what's written on my heart. Thank you, guys. My name is Austin. Uh, I am going to be reading uh, Deuteronomy 8, and so I think we have slides for that. Um, And this isn't a scripture I've memorized, but it's just something that's been on my heart that I've been thinking about for the past year or so since I uh, read it. And so, yeah, I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, It says, be careful. Uh, Also, it's kind of long, so kind of buckle up and get ready to go with it. It's 20 verses, but yeah, be careful to follow every... Oh, also, background. I didn't... I just skipped over this. Uh, basically, so Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the Israelites uh, before they're about to go into this land that God promised them. Um, and yeah, Moses is their leader, and he's going to pass away, so he's basically trying to set them up for success in the land that they're going to go to. Uh, that's a really good land uh, that God promised. And so yeah, now I'll read it. <clears throat> it says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God 
who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify to, uh, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And so I'll repeat verses 10 through 14 because those uh, stuck out to me. It says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so, yeah, this, this scripture uh, has been on my heart, uh, honestly, because I, I think reading it just kind of scares me uh, to think that, I mean, these people are like promised this land that God is going to give them, whereas like everything I have, like my family and resources and uh, community is just God's grace that he gave it all to me. Uh, there was no promise there, but he was just good in providing all that. Um, and so it, it also reminds me of an axiom that we have, uh, that is, we aren't here because we're good, but we're here because God is good. And so I'll kind of come back to that. Um, but yeah, in this in this scripture, Moses, in a lot of different ways, is reminding these people that God is their main character, that everything they have is given by God. And just to kind of come back to that axiom that they aren't being given the land because they are good, but because God is good. Um, and so in reading it, yeah, it makes me ask the question of how do I remember God? So like, yeah, how do we how do we remember God? And so I have two things, uh, which there's probably a lot more. Uh, but yeah, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is confession. And so which kind of going back to that axiom, uh, we're not here because we're good. Uh, it's a reminder of that. And so, yeah, I'll read a quote uh, from a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, uh, which is a weird book name, but the book that I've read. Uh, uh, but yeah, Tyler Statton is the author, and it's kind of a longer quote. But he says, one of the biggest mistakes we've made in the modern church is to reimagine spiritual maturity as the need to confess less. The unspoken assumption is, as I ascend in relationship with God, I confess less because I have less to confess. True spiritual maturity, though, is the opposite. It's not an ascension. It's an archaeological dig as we discover layer after layer of what was in us all along. Spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. Maturity is discovering the depths of my personal brand of fallenness and the depths to which God's grace has really penetrated, even without me knowing it. The desperate need of our time is not for successful Christians, popular Christians, or winsome Christians. It's for deep Christians. And the only way to become a deep Christian is through the inner excavation called confession. The pathway of spiritual maturity is a descent, not an ascent. A maturing community is a confessing community, not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. And yeah, just two quotes that stick out. It says, spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. And a maturing community is a confessing community, not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. And so, yeah, just a, 
going back to the Deuteronomy and uh, Moses' um, encouragement to the Israelites, um, yeah, he's basically reminding them what, what God has done and wanting them not to become deluded that their success is because of their goodness. And he says, um, if they do become deluded, then when they eat and they're satisfied, and when they build fine houses and settle down, and when their herds and flocks grow large and silver and gold increase, and all that they have is multiplied, multiplied, then their hearts will become proud and they will forget the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so, yeah, it makes me it uh yeah it makes me think of First uh, John one nine through ten. Um, he says, uh, I think John wrote this. I would assume uh, he says, if we confess our sins, uh, God is faithful and just, and God will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And so I think just something that I've reflected on here is that confession is a really good gift, and that it frees us to to be free of the sin that we commit. And, and yeah, yeah, confession is a really good gift. Yeah, I think one more thing I'll add on confession is how do we respond to people confessing? Um yeah, and JVR kind of said something, not about confession, but it made me think of like this phrase, but yeah, how we respond to people confessing sin reflects God's response. <coughs> and so, yeah, how we respond to people's sin reflects to them God's response. And so just one example of how Jesus responds to sin was uh, John 8, 1 through 11, a uh, woman caught in adultery. Um, long story short, the uh, conversation ends with Jesus telling the woman caught in adultery that I don't condemn you, go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, she's free from any guilt of the sin she committed. And yeah, in my life, I think of uh, Matt Carruthers and Austin Bailey, who are guys that whenever I've confessed, they've been really, um, yeah, really sweet to, gosh, to remind me of God's forgiveness and grace and the invitation to get back up after I sin. <laughs> I'm an ugly crier, but <laughs> that's great. Um so yeah, just an encouragement here to be someone that people want to confess to. And Jesus was someone that, I mean, you can go all over Scripture and just see that people that are broken want to come to Jesus. <clears throat> and so, yeah, a question there is, are are you and are we people who people uh, want to come confess to? <clears throat> and so just as a challenge here, um, yeah, when is the last time you confessed sin to someone? And if you haven't recently, yeah, take this as an invitation to go confess sin to someone that as close to you. Um, just a reminder back to that quote, that a spiritual, spiritual maturity means more confession, not less. <clears throat> and then the other thing, going back to the axiom, how do we remember God, uh, is we're here because God is good. So the first part, we're not here because we're good, we're here because God is good. And so that part just makes me think uh, to reflect on what God has done in your life and our lives. Um, and so I won't go into my whole story, but basically, I was a lonely, awkward teenager who played like five hours of video games a day in high school, and um, yeah, <laughs> amen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, God, God met me there, and I, I was also going in high school. My family was gone, kind of going through a rough time, and um, yeah, I just kind of felt isolated. <clears throat> and I remember, yeah, it wasn't until like 10th grade, I think, that I uh, started to think about like what if God existed I used to have some like weird ideas of God but I won't share those uh but I remember I had I'd watched some YouTube videos and heard about 
like the Christian God. Um, and yeah, it just made me want to like, while I was playing Call of Duty, like just, you know, while the loading screens are going, just pray and like talk to God. Um, and yeah, those were some of the sweetest times in my high school, um, high school time. And yeah, God, God met me while I was playing video games. Like he didn't make me, I don't know, go. I tried reading the Bible and I didn't, I didn't really get much out of it reading it by myself. That wasn't until I read it with Austin Bailey that I was able to kind of see who Jesus was more. But yeah, he met me while I was playing video games. <clears throat> I also think of just the other week, David Parker was telling me about the story of the Northeast Church and how uh, he had like just brought up casually about how uh, in 1997, they had like prayer meetings for Focus, uh, praying for students that would come through Focus. And yeah, not ironically, which I don't think you knew this, but yeah, my I was born in 1997. And so it's just cool to see that like the story of this church like blessed me uh, 25 years ago uh, because people were praying. And so, yeah, an encouragement here is what is your story? Uh, what is your story? Where did God meet you? And so I have an activity <coughs> with with a slide up. And so we're going to do like a, well, yeah, so the question is, yeah, take time to share something God has done in your life. So it can be big or small, something that God did like 20 years ago or something that he's doing now. <coughs> and yeah, just take time to share with like two people next to you. Um, and then the second question is just like, if you're having a hard time thinking of the first question, it's the same question basically. But cool. Yeah, we're going to take like, uh, five minutes to do that. So, I'm just going to kind of conclude, uh, yeah, the scripture. And just, yeah, just a reminder that Deuteronomy 8 reminds us that the Israelites weren't being blessed because they were good or because of their ability, but because God loved them and wanted to bless them. And so, yeah, De Deuteronomy 8 is a reminder that we're not here because we're good, but we're here because God is good. And so just uh, encouragement to confess our sins to each other, remind ourselves uh, and each other what God has done um, and that he's been really good to us.